Welcome back, everyone, to Drunk Bible Study Bonus Edition, where we welcome you to all things drunk and Bible related. <laughs> Not really. It's just mostly like what we did in the episode and seeing if we can find out some more stuff about it. So, Whoa. yeah, I uh, my whole thing was on porcupines, which I feel like should come at the end. So one of you go first. I'll go first. Okay. Um, so uh, we had that question early on of like with the chapter breaks of like, is this different prophecies? What is going on? Uh-huh. A, lot of that, a lot of that line of questioning. And I tried to look into that and I couldn't exactly answer that question, but I did find a lot of interesting information about just the structure of the book of Isaiah in general. So similar to other books that we've read, there's, you know, these clues that lead us to believe maybe this wasn't written all by the same person, believe Ooh, it or by not. not, not oh, by Isaiah? Okay. Snap, yeah. snap. Oh, snap. So first of all, there's kind of this structure to Isaiah in that there's what's known as proto-Isaiah. And that's Whoa. chapters 1 through 39. So we're going to be with proto-Isaiah for quite a while. And that's and, where he's like, okay. this isn't even my final form. <laughs> well, Boy. it's wow. more that actually it's more like this is my final form because oh, it's theorized that it's like these are actually the words of the original Isaiah is oh, 139. Okay. Interesting. Then we get into Deutero-Isaiah, which is chapters 40 through 55, which is the work of somebody else. The Deuteronomist? Oh. It's like revising it? or I don't think it's the Deuteronomist. It's just some other author. Okay. And okay. then Trito-Isaiah, which Whoa. is chapters 56 through 66, which is essentially more like an anthology of a bunch of different random prophets, supposedly. Wow. Um, Yeah, a couple interesting things to point out is the fact that basically after chapter 39, Isaiah's name stops being used entirely. Fascinating. Okay. Like, suddenly it becomes very, yeah, it becomes very anonymous. It's very vague as to who says these things. Yes. And then after chapter 40, there's suddenly a change in style and even the theology as well and particular words and phrases change radically huh. so okay. yeah so definitely some like clues to kind of lead us to feel that you know hmm. maybe this was for some reason the phrase that came to mind was maybe this is an inside job but probably mo- not more that this was this was cobbled together by a number of different authors and also something that we can we can look forward to essentially is that like Basically, in proto-Isaiah, we're kind of setting the scene, setting the context, laying out some prophecies for, like, death and destruction, but also, of course, the carrot, you know, good prophecies of the Mm -hmm. holy kingdom that's going to come at the end of time. And then when we move into Deutero-Isaiah, then it's, it's basically other nations getting much more negative prophecies about how how much it's going to suck for them. Okay. You know, huh. and then in Trito, I, and essentially in Deutero Isaiah, it's also like we're kind of writing it from the viewpoint as though Israel has already been liberated. And now hmm. this is where the, the revenge is happening. And in, then in, once. In which what? one? In Deutero. Deutero. Okay. Yes. And then and by, by the time liber- we get. What do you mean by liberation? Did that happen at the end of Kings? Well, or what so, you... okay, remember, our history no. gets kind of muddled because we're jumping yeah. around through so many different bo- books, but, like, essentially Oops. Israel falls falls captive to the Babylonians slash the Assyrians. Okay. And that's what happened at the end of time. Kings. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and so that does eventually come to an end or is prophesied to come to an end. And by the time we get to Trito Isaiah, this kind of mishmash anthology of a bunch of different prophets, then it's kind of talking about, okay, after the slaughter's all behind us, uh, and now there's going to be this more peaceful time. Okay. Kind of this callback to the stuff that Proto Isaiah prophesies of what's going to, you know, the carrot that's going to be on the other end of like all this suffering and slaughter and stuff like that. All these. Stories. Okay. Yeah. So okay. kind of like how when we were reading Kings, the theory that seems to be the dominant one is that it was written down after Israel had been liberated from the Babylonians and the Assyrians. By mm-hmm. by the Deuteronomists, who later on during a different kingdom were kind of writing this down, and so that's why, like, maybe they had slanted things or added things to explain like why we got conquered back then. Because oh well, it's because we were bad. It's cause, oh because we didn't follow these mm-hmm. rules. That must have been why. But now we're cool, so let's make sure we follow those rules. And then it seems like Isaiah, we're gonna get like the whole range as opposed to just being written down after. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Kind of getting all these different viewpoints. That's awesome. So we can look forward to that. If there's suddenly a harsh change in style where it doesn't sound like Lin-Manuel Miranda at all, and it suddenly sounds like, (laughs) I don't know, Stephen Sondheim out of left left field, then we'll know why. That would be quite a, quite a change. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So, okay, so I looked up a couple things. One was just this article that came up when we were talking about hallucinogens in the Bible. And mm. this is not specifically relevant to Isaiah, but I found this article from ABC News back in 2008. So this <laughs> okay. is a, an older thing. But uh, there's an Israeli professor named Benny Shannon, who is a professor of cognitive philosophy. And he wrote this whole thing about Moses and potentially all of the Israelites at that time being high all the time. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) I mean, I would not put it past them. Like high on what? Well, Everything, right? Everything. What else are you going to do back then? You don't have an iPhone. You're going to get high all the time. I don't know. I mean, I don't, they're like, they're, they're running for their lives all the time. They're like actually having to try to defend themselves. I suppose. And so what do you do after to unwind? You get okay. high. All right. <laughs> no, so, True. so according to this professor, there's two naturally existing plants in the Sinai Peninsula, which is that area, that have the same psychoactive components as what goes into ayahuasca, basically. And okay. so it's very possible they were making drinks out of this and getting high. And he talks about specifically, I guess, part of the theory is that some of the descriptions from the book of Exodus, like lightning and a blaring trumpet coming out of nowhere, or um, the burning bush, are like classic images that are common amongst people who are high on these types of drugs. Huh. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. And then <laughs> it's funny because then the article goes on to be like, this professor admits that he once took some of these drugs while he was on a trip to the Amazon in 91. And then goes on to say like, the reaction from Israel's Orthodox community has not been favorable. <laughs> Boy, oh uh, well, to be fair, 91, before it was cool to go on an ayahuasca retreat in the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Trendsetter. Yeah. Trendsetter. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that was just a little thing I found. But then I also tried to look into this translation of the animal that that was a porcupine or maybe a hedgehog or an owl or who knows what. And 
basically what I found is that in a lot of commentaries on the Bible for this verse, they're all kind of like, yeah, this is the word in Hebrew, but like, I don't know what it means. Here's some guesses. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. The options I came across were hedgehog or porcupine, and then also owl and bittern, but then also tortoise, beaver, otter, and oh, and owl. Yeah, like all of these. Huh. Well, if we're talking about a swamp, though, my money's on the tortoise. Well, so the reason... Or maybe an gone. otter. thing I came across in a lot of these commentaries is that most of them actually land on bittern being most likely correct. Because uh, I guess bittern... Bittern? Bittern. bittern. What's like, a bittern? Like bitter, but with an N at the it's end. Like a, it's like a bird, right? Yeah, oh, that's okay. the one I was telling you about during the thing. That's It's part of the heron family. Uh, okay. But it looks a little bit smaller. They're actually kind of cute if you look up oh. pictures of them. Hmm. Um, a little weird looking, but cute in a cute way. <laughs> but the reason why a lot of the scholars seem to say, yeah, this one's probably most accurate is because they're an animal that lives in marshes as mm. opposed to porcupines and hedgepiggy, which live in, in more arid areas, which uh-huh. he's talking about it becoming a swamp and then being occupied by this animal. So probably they would want to live in a swamp if they were bitterns and not if they were porcupines. So that's kind of kind of what I found about that. But what if we instead transitioned into drunk porcupine study i think we should like a bonus episode for the bonus episode yeah yes emily can you do an intro to that yeah okay here we go welcome to the bonus episode of the bonus episode this is drunk bonus porcupine (laughs) study hello everyone (laughs) no but really like porcupines are fascinating creatures um (laughs) Uh, but they, have they have they been in Arizona for twenty five thousand years? Yes, I thought that that was like a- an anecdotal thing that was somebody just like wrote on Cora or something or Cura. <laughs> what is it? Cora. Cura. Cora. Cora. Yeah. Yeah. Just had that in her back pocket. Yeah, it, you do if you type in like have porcupine <laughs> do porcupines live in Arizona, then it comes up. But it is like on somebody's kind of blog or whatever. Uh huh. But yes, apparently. The Arizona Daily Independent says that yes, some live in Tucson. So, okay. but they have live they lived there, there for twenty five thousand years? How many yes. years? So, so it says. Let's say where 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 is this? There, yes, fossil porcupine. Okay, like fossiled porcupines are up to twenty five thousand years old, Whoa. and they in those Arizona twenty five thousand years year old porcupines have been discovered in southwest Arizona, wow. south central New Mexico, and southwestern Colorado. Wow! So there you go. Yes. So the answer is yes. They have been there. So I didn't cool. realize porcupines were that old. I know. So okay, there are there are two types of porcupines. There's an old world porcupine. And a new world porcupine. Classic, yeah. So the old worlds, just like a wine, they lived in (sighs) Europe, in Asia, in Africa. Okay. And they were strictly nocturnal and they were large. And then the new world porcupines are indigenous to North America and Northern South America. And they live more in like wooded areas and apparently they can climb trees and yeah, oh. some species like live in trees their whole lives, which is not something that I think of. I think of them on the ground. 
and they, think the new world ones are cuter but just based on my google image search are well, they also smaller I, well okay i am not sure about that it says they're less strictly nocturnal but yeah they are generally smaller um but yeah they're about 25 to 36 inches long okay okay and then they are about 12 to 35 pounds they're slow little boys and so if you look at a hedgehog versus a porcupine they're similar however the porcupine has really long quills right and a hedgehog has really short quills so i'd be more scared by a porcupine personally yeah i feel like a porcupine poses more personal bodily danger to you yeah than than a hedgehog because hedgehogs you can just hold but you can't just hold a porcupine without being very careful right yeah and i thought also hedgehogs it's like their quills are more of a defensive thing where they'll roll up you know and it's just kind of like a keep away but porcupines they can actually shoot their quills a little bit right so okay that is uh, here here we go let's talk about defensive behavior thank you (laughs) (laughs) so okay it depends on sight scent and sound so it okay. says that, like, yeah, the displays, so meaning, like, they show their quills when they're agitated or annoyed. Right. And it says that there is quill erection, <sighs> teeth chattering, emitting of odor, and attack. These displays are ranked from least aggressive to most aggressive, Clearly. respectively. So that's interesting. Okay, a porcupine's color aids in part of its defense, as most predators are nocturnal and colorblind. So the porcupine's markings are black and white. So you'll see that on their quills, that it's like white, black, white, black, white, black, like on their quills. To show you, hey, I mean business and stay away. Yeah, exactly. So I I thought, okay, I feel like I saw a porcupine in real life once, like in a science class as a kid. And I feel like I didn't get to touch it because it's dangerous because of the quills. But I feel like I remember learning that they don't actually shoot them out, but that... If they stab you with them, they detach, so they stay stuck they do. in you. Yeah, I think that's what yes. I meant, is that like uh, they can okay. detach their quills and get them stuck in you versus Got a hedgehog, it. which can't do that. Yeah, no, it, it definitely can do that. It like also, apparently shakes way, its body. and um, then sounds terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it shakes its body, it emits an odor, it shatters its teeth. It's like a warning noise, like a... Like some another predator that's in Arizona is the rattlesnake, and it kind of does that as well. Does it rattles at you. Yeah. Now so it I don't you know first. if y'all know this, but if you do a Google image search for porcupine babies, it's <gasps> amazingly adorable. Mm, they but, are really cute. But if we had like a competition between porcupine babies and hedgehog babies. Oh, but hedgehog babies are also so cute. I know. That's Um, tough. So finally, just talking about them in Arizona, um, they're really thinly distributed. So you're probably not likely to see one anywhere except for the Grand Canyon. And apparently in the early to middle 1900s, there were a lot of them, but they were you know downsized based on predator control downsized yes well they were let go they were laid off (laughs) mountain lions ate them some restructuring (laughs) i don't know how a mountain lion would eat that i have no idea enough Mm, if you're hungry enough you could figure it out yeah i guess oh we eat freaking like pomegranates and pineapples so 
You could eat a pineapple. You could eat a porcupine. That's what I always say. I suppose you're right. But okay, <laughs> porcupine, just so you're aware, it translates to spiny pig. Okay. Porcus means hog and oh, yeah, spina yeah, means thorn yeah. or spine. Sense. So Makes Porky sense. the pig is actually a porcupine. Oh, porcupine. very, very apt. There wow. you go. Wow. And there's like 30,000 quills on them. Whoa. Their barbs are four inches long. Whew. So I feel like a mountain lion would be scary AF. Would be scared AF. Would be scared, you know? yeah, for sure. Yeah. Super scared. Gosh. Yeah, and it says popular myth aside, they're not the quills are not shot like arrows. Instead, the hollow lances detach on contact and right. lodge into the attacker, which also sounds terrible. Yeah, I, I have this. I feel like a neighbor's dog once like got oh. interested in a porcupine and ended up with no, a bunch of quills say, in its it, nose. It was in the Incredible Journey or whatever the '90s remake of the Incredible Journey was that What's happened. That? It's Homeward Bound. Yes, Homeward Bound is what you're thinking of. Because definitely the chance. Yeah, chance got got porcupine. There it is. It's bad. Yes. It is. My good friend. I remember that vividly. (laughs) Yes. I remember that vividly. It was very sad. (laughs) And yeah. So, okay. Basically, foresters were concerned. In the 1920s in Arizona, foresters were concerned about the danger porcupines poised to Arizona's Ponderosa forests and took measures to reduce populations, including the use of poison in Flagstaff. That's so sad. It wasn't until 1972 when porcupines were no longer regarded as a threat that they were protected. So now they're protected, but there's a lot less of them. (sighs) Gosh. Basically, if you encounter one... Don't go near it. Just admire it from a distance. Yeah. They're really Seems cute. Wise. Yeah. But you don't need to be stuck with the quills. And yeah, if you want something to hold up close, I found out that Beanie Babies made a hedgehog Beanie Baby. So That's if you adorable. want one to hold, you could just get a hedgehog Beanie Baby instead. I had, a he- I had a hedgehog stuffed animal as a kid. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's one of my They're- favorites. They're really cute. I think (laughs) I do think that the hedgehog is cuter, personally. But I'm more impressed by the porcupine. Hmm. Well, this is a nice like counterbalance to our like top ten impalements in the Bible. Yeah, (laughs) just talking about a little bit of porcupine history and baby hedgehogs and stuff. It's pleasant. Yes, it is pleasant. It's lovely. So (laughs) we hope you enjoyed this bonus upon bonus episode. So we had a bonus episode and then we had a double bonus and there were porcupines. <laughs> there were whatever the heck you were talking about, Dedeker. Oh my and God. Just, I don't know. It's it all been overwritten stuff. by porcupines. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Porcupines are the cutest. So anyways, we will see you for probably more drunk animal study, drunk literary study, drunk uh, violin study mm-hmm. next time around. On Isaiah, whatever to whatever. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)